On this week's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Atto from the Savvy Wallet. In this show, we were discussing all things equities, what they are as an investment, why they're so important, and the impact they can have on you as a young investor. It was really great to get Atto's you know, personal opinion on some strategies that he runs, his own investments himself, and at the end of the show, we both did a stock pick of two companies we think are going to be successful going forward. This is a really great show if you don't really understand equities and want to hear two people talking very candidly about them. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. MoneyEd is an education platform for young adults who want to better understand personal finance and gain greater confidence in managing their money. Each week we'll address the important topics within personal finance that really matter to you in an informative yet easy to listen to approach. The best way to improve your personal finance is through education and we want to provide a place where you can learn outside of the classroom, office or lecture hall. So Asso, welcome to the show mate. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. How have you been? How's everything going? Yeah, no, I've been good. I've just come back from the gym. You know, it's a lovely, beautiful day in London. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've been very well. How, how have you been? Yeah, mate, good, good. Uh, keeping busy. I'm actually, I'm recording two shows this weekend. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so um, yeah, busy. But no, good, good. Um, so I thought we'd just dive straight into it. I, g- I gave a little, the kind of listeners a bit of an intro uh, before, mm-hmm. but I thought we'd just start by, you know, introducing yourself, you know, what you're mm-hmm. doing with Savvy Wallet and kind of yeah. where kind of... Where, where you all started really okay so I started Savvy Wallet about six months ago so at some point in my life so I, I thought to myself okay I want to start teaching people about finance because over the last four or five years I got to a point where I was like okay I'm now good with understanding managing my finances managing my debt I'm starting to invest in the market I own my own property so I thought you know what this information is useful to share with other people so why don't I you know start doing videos on YouTube and by proxy I created an Instagram page I was like okay I'm going to share a bit of information that started to grow like rapidly over the last few months and what we try to do on there is we try to teach people about different finance topics uh, mainly investing saving your money, trying to get out of debt. We try and teach it in a jargon-free way so it's more, you know, easier for them to understand. It's a little bit more engaging. It's a little bit more fun. So that's what we mainly do. Uh, we're across Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, soon to be TikTok if I'm, you know, feeling like I want to uh, delve into that. But apparently it's, it's really popular on TikTok. Fin- financial content is popular, which, is, which blows my mind. But, you know, yeah. people want to you know, learned in different ways. So yeah. yeah, I think it's just that it's just, it's just get like getting that exposure in different kind of um, social forms. Like I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of um, like personal finance content creators getting on TikTok and I don't know. I love TikTok. I don't know about like personal <laughs> finance TikTok myself, but um, no, it's certainly yeah. a good way to engage with the audience. Um, so yeah, so you're talking a little bit about um, YouTube channel, obviously, and that's kind of how I came across, you know, your, your kind of your stock pick shows um so do you just want to yeah. talk a little bit about that and kind of kind of yeah why why you kind of felt like um doing those videos on like set you know set stocks you know specific equities and that sort of thing yeah sure uh the thing for me was i as i started to learn more about investing started to learn what to look for in a company you know looking at its balance sheet income statement things like that i thought you know what it'd be good to do a video about this just to show other people sort of 
what to look for and um, get them a little bit more engaged in this because I think with, you know, picking stocks and stuff like that, I would say for beginners, probably not the best thing to do, but for you to learn like what goes into, you know, analyzing and understanding a company and just to understand some of the jargon. I think like in the, you know, investing world, there's a lot of jargon to understand. So for me, the reason was I wanted to talk about different companies that companies that people may not have known, which were really interesting to me. And Mm bring it out to people say oh actually have you heard about this company what do you think about it like oh they're doing really really cool things like yeah so that was the reason for me doing it mainly yeah cool cool and i, I think you you touched on a really good point there like i think also a good thing is actually hearing how how other people look at companies and how they how they decide okay actually this is a company i want to invest in and um so one, I was thinking kind of throughout the show, we could kind of talk a little bit about what, how you kind of look at companies um, yeah. and kind of what kind of criteria you kind of think about when investing in companies, because, you know, as, as you said, like investing is, it's such a, it's such a kind of, there's so much to consider and it can obviously be yeah. very kind of confusing for a lot of people, but I think it's, it's really insightful to hear how different people, uh, you know, analyze companies effectively. So what kind of the main things, um, that you do and also kind of what what sort of companies are you looking at you know do you have you know specific companies you like to focus on kind of what's what's your thinking there so in terms of investing there's two sort of let's say common themes that um, investors sort of look for so you've got like the income investors who are looking for like you know monthly maybe quarterly maybe yearly income from a company so if you are invested in a company usually they can pay you uh, parts of their profits uh, to their shareholders so when you invest you become a shareholder of that company um so usually what people do there is they, they look for companies with maybe decent amount of dividends are they able to sustain their dividends are they able to grow their dividends over the last 10 years and if they have like you know a steady dividend growth over let's say 20 30 years for example for me personally i have a few investments in dividend stocks but i'm on the other spectrum which is what we call you know a growth investor essentially so what i'm looking for here is companies which have a really good potential to grow massively in the future. So one of the most popular companies that we all know currently, which most of us have heard about, Tesla, for example, is a great growth story or great growth company. And what I mean by that is it's grown or its share price has grown by 700% within one year, which is ridiculous. That's not normal, that's not normal <laughs> yeah. at all. It's not a normal yeah. thing. So that's what we mean by growth. It's above average growth in a share price not mm. if just in the share price in in its revenues in its profits in its expansion in geography mm. so that's where i'm mostly focused on yeah. and in that specifically because i i'm interested in technology uh, quite a bit i like to look for companies that are breaking into new spaces or into new areas that people have a thought about before mm-hmm. so that's what i mostly mainly look for in yeah. a company that double digit growth yeah i was gonna well that's that's the question i was gonna ask you know um for those of us for those people who you know might might be new to investing and you know we hear a lot about kind of especially i think at the moment growth stocks and you know that growth focus is so big because 
we've been in a period where those sorts of companies have done really well. You know, the last 10, 15 years, we've seen like the likes of like tech companies. You look at that, the Google, Amazon, those sorts of big players have skyrocketed in value and kind of revenue and that sort of thing. But, you know, when, when you're, when you personally thinking about uh, growth stocks, you know, what kind of, what are you comparing this growth to, you know, cause you know, you, you, you say you look for kind of double digit companies, companies that are growing, you know, at like 10 or 15% growth, you know, what are you comparing that to? Are you comparing that to kind of general like market growth, Are you comparing that to kind of global economic growth, you know, what's the kind of comparison you make, you make there? Yeah. So I mostly compare it to their peers. So I like to do a like for like comparison. For example, if we're talking about Tesla, there are a few other places. So some people, sometimes they will compare Tesla to maybe like some of the other manufacturers and say, oh, mm. Tesla's not um, creating as much as uh, the other manufacturers. And then some people's arguments is that it's, um, it's an energy company. So they compare it to like Exxon back in the days or Shell. For me personally, I compare it to its market. And I mm. actually also compare it to itself. So what has it been doing over the last five to 10 years, like, you know, okay, so for instance, I look at its P ratio. So for a lot of growth companies, we have this thing called P ratio, which is basically, you know, a ratio to basically tell you what the price of the share is according to how much it's earning in revenue. And now if it's really high, if that ratio is really high, generally people think that the stock price might be overvalued. And what you may have in a growth stock is that mostly that P ratio is going to be higher because of people projecting that over the next five to 10 years that it's going to, you know, skyrocket to somewhere else. So I usually will compare where its PE ratio is today compared to maybe its past self and where it is going to be into the future to determine for me whether it's a good value for money. For me, I, I do understand what people say, oh, like it doesn't matter what the share price is. But I think mm. it's also good to basically value the business and the yeah. P ratio gives you that you know insight into whether the company at this point in time is a little bit expensive mm. versus yeah. you know at a later point where it might be more better value for you to, to buy at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think so, again, loads of listeners, so a P ratio basically stands for your price earnings ratio. So it's comparing your the kind of the share current share price by um, the kind of your earnings per share, um, and I'll leave a little note to kind of talk more about that yeah. and uh, kind of you know for a lot of for me as well for a lot of listeners kind of these sorts of like talking about all these formulas and kind of all this new thing mm -hmm. is, is quite new. So it's um, yeah. it's always good to kind of like understand exactly the sorts of especially the sorts of kind of financial metrics. Um, we look at um and i think also like tezzer's tezzer's quite an interesting one because you're right like it mm -hmm. has it's 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 a it's a it's a stock that's loved by the media as well there's so much noise about yeah. it in in the news and stuff you always hear and it's been one of, as you said like i didn't appreciate it was like 700 percent in one year that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot um, it's crazy <laughs> that's the thing i think kind of especially like with growth stocks um you're looking you're, as you said you're looking you're looking for those that kind of double digit kind of like growth in terms of and they're just it sounds silly, but they're just growing like at a quick rate. They're growing quicker, quicker than the market. And that's where you're going to, you're going to try and find the value. Um, and I think especially since, since, since kind of COVID and everything, um, those mm -hmm. sorts of stocks, those typical growth stocks, you know, the big, big tech players as well have seriously yeah. um, uh, done it. They've just done a lot better because I think that's where people have moved their money into. That's where investors have seen the value. Um, and do you, do you usually focus on kind of like larger, 
like like kind of larger cap like big cap companies do you ever do kind of any any invest in smaller companies yeah so i'm invested in a few mid caps a uh, mm. few small caps as well my i think my smallest company that i'm invested in is an electrical vehicle manufacturer okay uh it's called workhorse so that one's really popular at the moment yeah. so listeners go and uh, google workhorse and see what the hype is about they yeah. are very small but their market cap is ridiculous it's in the really? billions their revenue isn't high yeah. but what people are pricing in is their future so mm-hmm. you see the thing other thing about the growth area and i think i mentioned it a bit earlier is thinking about the future so the reason mm-hmm. why tesla and all these other electrical vehicles is a fever of it is because people are imagining the future people are imagining cars without oil and you know maybe airplanes about oils and electric powers and stuff like that they're looking into the future thinking oh that would be that'd be amazing if we can do that for a number of reasons one because the vehicles might be cheaper two because of the environment which is a very very big thing we we all around the world we have targets that yeah. we have to meet to you know become carbon neutral um, apparently so you know Hopefully. electrical vehicle yeah well yeah you yeah. know we're saying that we've got it but like we we've obviously got this thing that we are trying to to mm-hmm. go towards yeah, so yeah. looking at those sort of areas so small caps are good but they mm-hmm. are really risky yeah. really volatile yeah, yeah, yeah. um it's prone to maybe 10 percent swings so mm-hmm. maybe a 10 percent return in one day maybe a 10 percent loss in one day yeah so I would suggest if you go anywhere near something like that, understand that you could potentially lose all your money. So in Workhorse, why I invested in it was because I like the potential of the company. I think it has a good future, but Mm -hmm. there's a strong bet right now that it meets or basically wins a contract from the United States Postal Service. So a lot of people have invested in this company because there's a six billion contract up for grabs and they are basically bidding for it right but apparently the chances are low that they're going to win it so if they lose it there's going to be a massive big sell off yeah yeah yeah. and i mean so as a as a as a retail investor how do you i mean obviously you've read about and you've researched it but how do you know that how do you kind of know that is it it, would you say that that kind of that kind of holding is more of like a i don't want to say a bet but like kind of you're kind Mm. of because obviously if you've, you've had a look at this company you know what it does but a lot of the share price right now is obviously pricing in this winning this contract um yeah how do you how do you kind of how do you how do you kind of know that how do you kind of know that the contract could or could be won? like are there any signals saying that they're likely um, to win it or so i normally what i like to do when i'm you know researching stocks is i like Mm -hmm. to read other people's opinions on it so you know analysis so i'll check investing.com motley fool is quite good for analysis piece um you know you've got market news you've got like uh seeking alpha as well it's quite good Mm -hmm. so you've got a lot of like different financial resources where you can sort of read on what people's uh, thoughts are on it so in terms of the likelihood really nobody knows Uh, there's Mm -hmm. four competitors uh well there's three other competitors to 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 work also there's four uh, bidding for it in terms of the likelihood no one really knows so yeah. when it's something like that where it could go either way your best bet is not to invest your whole life saving <laughs> you you invest a minimum so for me 
1% of my portfolio is enough of a risk for me to mm -hmm. take for something yeah. like that. That is so high risk. I would only do, it wouldn't be more than 1% for me. Yeah. Anywhere near 10 to 20%, you are, you're, you're essentially almost gambling, you know? Yeah. And I, I get, we all do that in the stock market, to be mm -hmm. honest, to, you know, to some point, but you have to be a little bit more calculated, right? Yeah. So for me, yeah. it's 1%. Okay. And yeah, and, and that's the thing you, you touched on a really good point there. And a, a couple of episodes ago, I, you know, we did a show all about risk because I think, you know, no matter what anyone says, you're understanding risk and, you know, one's risk appetite and capacity for loss is essentially the most important thing I think you need to consider when you're investing your money. Because as you said, you've got even, even a big, like a big company like Tesla, there's still so much volatility in that. Like you could invest, you could invest in that company at, you know, I think the share price hit almost like, I know they did a, they did a uh, share split recently, so I don't know what it was. I don't know how it, how it kind of changes now, but it, it was hit something like $2,000 before the share split. And yeah. and I think since then it's probably, it's fallen like 20, 30%. And, mm -hmm. and, and this whole kind of idea of risk is, um, is so important. And what kind of, so would you say you're, cause you're obviously you're investing in, you know, a range of companies, big and small in different sectors. What would you say your kind of risk appetite is? Would you say you're kind of, you, you don't mind taking on risk? Yeah, I definitely don't mind taking on <laughs> risk because I mean, I'm invested in individual shares. So for me personally, I see myself as investing in a market for at least 10 to 20 years. Yeah. So I know I'm going to be in there for a long time. Mm. And most of the companies I invest in, I know I'm investing in them long-term. It's not a try and, you know, win a quick buck. So these are yeah. companies that I actually believe in. These are companies that I believe will, um, you know, profit in the future. Yeah. But in terms of risk, yeah, I definitely do. Um, mm. I am a risk taker. Yeah. But I'm not a risk taker to the point where I'll invest in anything or I'll invest without doing my research. So currently yeah. I'm not actually invested in Tesla because I love Tesla. I love the products. I, I even wanted to work there at one point. Mm. So I'm actually surprised I haven't invested in them, but I just haven't got round to it. And for me, even seeing the share price go up, you know, at any point I could have been like everybody else to just run in. But I was yeah. like, no, I need to do my research. I need to actually understand who this company is. So although I'm a risk taker, I would say any risk I take, I understand what the risks are so yeah, you know yeah, it's understanding what kind of you know market you're in because the market can also decide what type of risk it is so for example mm. right now airlines are very risky because of yeah. covid but a year ago there probably wasn't it probably would have been let's say maybe safe yeah. so it you have to check the sector you have to check the company are they a market leader they're not a market leader mm -hmm. you know they're prone to you know like a lot of short selling and stuff like that and i guess you you can play, explain short selling to uh, maybe a little bit after but yeah it's all about understanding what your risk level mm -hmm. is and how much appetite there is if you yeah. are somebody who can't stomach seeing like reds across your portfolio then not to say that you shouldn't invest, but you might want to invest in less risky things or mm -hmm. less risky financial yeah. instruments. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, I completely agree. And I think it's, it's often, it often takes a while to really, really kind of appreciate what your risk appetite is. Cause you know, there are loads of, there are loads of things online you can do. You can work out your risk score. You can do all these questionnaires, but 
only when you see like only when you see yourself or your investments lose money then you'll really know how much risk you're willing to take um and i think you know this discussion is all on equities and stuff and within within the broad equity sector there are so many different there's such a wide range of companies you can invest in and that's why i i I personally really like it um because if you're looking kind of like institutional wealth managers they're they're kind of they're they're thinking about risk completely differently in the sense that you know they they've got to protect their clients well so they're investing in all sorts of different um assets different products to try and prevent that but you touched on a really good point there and the reason i personally so i'm i'm relatively i like taking on risk as well but because i know that as you said i'm investing in these companies for the long run you know i'm not you know although however painful it was seeing markets fall 30 40 percent you know a few months ago i think especially as young people like we know that you know we've still got 20 30 years of investing ahead of us we've still got 20 30 years of growth um and so the risk the risk you know being able to take that risk now sh- like should pay off in in the long run and you know something i've touched on in previous episodes and something everyone should always remember is that you know to get a higher return and to get to generate a greater return you're gonna you're you're gonna have to take on risk and yeah if you don't if you don't want to take if you don't want to take on that risk then you're gonna have to accept that um you're gonna get a lesser return um but within you know within within you know within the equities market within the equities sector you can as you said you can invest in tiny small cap companies which have you know no revenue you know no profits but (laughs) they're trading at ridiculous ridiculous prices because the market's thinking that in the future they're going to do well and you talk, made it made a good point there you know professional institutional investors they will when they're analyzing these companies they will look at future cash flow they will look at future growth and they will price that into the yeah. kind of what how they value a company today so they're looking they're looking ahead um so especially with these with these big tech companies with these growth companies um that's why their share price is so high because they're pricing in you know they're pricing in you know great revenue they're pricing in um yeah. you know fantastic growth going forward um but yeah, as i said you can you can also invest in you know low risk companies and you touched on it before I, yeah. I i would argue that you know uh dividend generating companies and income investing yeah. is is relatively low risk in the equities market yeah. because you're investing in traditionally usually i mean the thing with so with uh income investing and com- companies that generally uh, generate a dividend is or give a dividend which is basically um if you if you own a share of a company that gives you a dividend it's basically uh a, a, almost a thank you for owning this owning the owning the stock they're saying here you can have some yeah. of our profits back yeah. um and it's usually a it's usually a small percentage two three four percent um but you can also get some higher dividend paying uh stocks which you know might kind of hit six or seven percent um but tr- traditionally how dividend and i don't know if you agree or disagree on with me on this but generally dividend uh paying companies are companies that have kind of reached maturity and you know they're they're kind of at that point in their in their market and their sector where they're probably not going to achieve that much growth so in so they're going to reward their customers instead of instead of by you know the share price increasing increasing massively they're rewarding their customers and sorry their shareholders uh by you know giving them this dividend back and i would say they're kind of low risk because they're generally well-established companies you know large market share you know dominant so companies like unilever coca-cola those sorts of companies who are who are big big names and aren't going to achieve that much growth but are just generally going to dominate the market for however long and i think there's 
it's definitely a way you can balance your portfolio with as I, it sounds like you've done with a few of those companies lower risk but you know give you an income and then also allocate more money or some money to the higher growth companies is that and it sounds it sounds like that's something you do at it sounds like you kind of have a balance of those sorts of companies yeah yeah so i definitely want to i guess i don't want to another jargon but like hedge mm. my bet so essentially put some of my money in as you were saying a little bit more stable companies let's yeah. use that as a word so yeah that's a good I they don't good move word. so much they yes okay they might go down a bit but maybe they're going down by one percent two percent so that's a little bit better to stomach and they okay they, if they do go up they're going up by one two percent so they're not moving as much as say your tesla which is down 20 percent one day up 40 percent, which is like a crazy roller coaster as opposed to you know uh, bigger companies which are uh, a little bit more steady so yeah i, I definitely do agree mm-hmm. that if you are you know investing and you're investing in the stock market try and have you know a diverse portfolio and it's not just by you know sectors it's like as we're saying here you know growth and income big large cap sorry mid and small caps mm-hmm. just to have a wide range so that you can just make sure that if one sector or once type of company is failing maybe another company is is holding you up and i think that's what's worked for me and what's allowed me to go through this volatility because it's been the week the last few weeks has been just so up and down one week big tech is rallying another week is is going down like this week so yeah yeah it's it's certainly it can be tough to take um and i guess kind of the kind of the point I was going to come on to now is, um, you know, we, I, I personally, I'm sure it's the same for you. I enjoy investing. I enjoy looking at companies. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's the same thing. They, they enjoy investing, but a lot of people actually don't find investing very interesting. They don't want to, mm. they don't want to kind of invest. They don't want to give their time to, you know, doing kind of the sort of stuff like we do. Yeah. Um, but they still want to, invest they still know that investing their money is the right thing to do but they maybe don't have the time to like kind of do the extensive research or things like that do you think i know obviously you might be a bit biased but do you think it's necessary to you know to spend kind of large amounts of time researching these companies or do you think there's kind of other ways that kind of retail investors can can kind of identify in good investment opportunities while not having to put in the hours work yeah, I think I think so. When I started my investment journey five years ago, the only real time I put into it was researching funds. Five years ago, I wasn't picking my own stocks. Um, so I literally, I think it was Morningstar, I think I went on to, and I just checked, like, okay, what are the top 50 beginner funds, right? They're not, they're not yeah. like, you know, recommendations. But I was like, okay, they were like, oh yeah, if you, you know, portfolio, maybe have a few world, maybe have a few Europe, maybe have a few UK. So I would suggest um, to people who don't want to do a lot of research, but who still want to invest, definitely maybe look at um, passive funds as well, Mm -hmm. or or they're called tracker funds. So they are funds that maybe track a particular sector that maybe you might be interested in, uh, track a certain country, so companies within that country, or um, maybe uh, like a, a certain type of market or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like so a specific example, sector, yeah. 
yeah in the uk or something like that mm-hmm. um you also have a lot of you got companies like moneybox who will do it for you so mm-hmm. you can invest for them so they'll just do they'll just pick the stocks for you or the mm-hmm. funds for you mm-hmm. and we've got what we call now robo advisors as well yep. uh, so you've got your nutmegs and stuff like that so there are a lot of options out there if you are not willing to put in the time where you you don't find it fun you don't want to mm-hmm. research everything a lot of people don't which is and that's completely fine yeah. i think the thing that you'll be trading off is is that you're going to pay a little bit more and you'll mm-hmm. pay a little bit more in your fees so your fees will be more expensive because obviously you have to pay them to do the work for you yeah as opposed to somebody who is diy and they're doing it themselves it's going to be cheaper for them as long as you are happy with that and you can accept that you mm-hmm. can go away invest in and still get a decent return which is going to be better than a savings rate in a bank or <laughs> yeah. savings account or a cash exactly. ISA. So at the end of the day, you're still going to hopefully be beating inflation. So there yeah. are lots of options out there. Yeah, that's literally, I was, I was, you've actually spoken about exactly what I was going to come to next. And actually in last week's show, we, I did a whole show on the benefits of, you know, all the kind of pros and cons of to active versus passive investing. And I think you touched on a really good point there about, about fund investing. That's, Admittedly, when I first started, I I started looking at companies specifically, but I kind of wish I'd done it the other way around. Um, mm. Because when you're looking at like funds, as you as you said, like you can you can look at the the kind of types of investments these professional managers are making, and these guys are getting paid millions and millions to do do it. You know, especially on the a- active management side. You know, yeah. if you're lo- if you're looking at kind of um, for example, I look, a classic, really famous um, equity uh, fund is called Fundsmith, but a run guy run by a guy called Terry Smith and he manages uh, I think it's like 21 billion uh, pounds of um of kind of investors money and he and essentially as I touched on last week's show what active managers do is they they get paid and they spend their life analyzing these companies um mm-hmm. deciding which ones are the best in in the hope to beat the market um but the the kind of arguments I made last week and stuff is that actually you know, there aren't many Terry Smiths in the world, um, but there are a lot of there are a lot of active managers who try to beat the market and fail. And so I think, yeah. as you touched on really well, there passive investing is a great way to match the performance of the market um, while paying. You know, you will pay a little bit of a fee. That's the thing. So when you're picking your own when you're picking your own stocks, you may pay less fees. I know there are still some platforms that do charge like ridiculous fees still um mm-hmm. i use i use trading 212 now which is obviously yeah. fee free but then you've got guys like um aj bell hargreaves lansdowne those guys you know i think they still pay they still charge you like 10 11 pounds to make a trip to, to mm-hmm. buy a stock um and if you're only if you're only investing 100 pounds that's that's 10 percent of your your capital gone just like that yeah. um so i think kind of that's the thing that's the kind of thing you have to weigh up with uh, kind of when you're investing in funds, I think is that you've got that extra cost. Um, but I think for the majority of people, you know, if I think the cost outweighs the time needed, because mm-hmm. what I'll always say is when you're looking at companies, you, you have to, I think I personally you always have to do uh, your research. You always have to understand it before investing, because otherwise you're almost going in blind. Um, yeah. But a point I was going to come on to actually, and I, I, one of the first like investing books I've ever read was by a guy called Peter Lynch, who was a really famous, uh, investor. He ran his own fund. Um, and it's called, it's a book called one up on wall street. And he basically said in it that actually you don't have to be, don't have to dedicate, you know, the sort of time 
uh, that people think when analyzing companies, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a degree to analyze companies because actually every day, you know, just in what you do in your day-to-day life, you're analyzing companies, you know, think think back to some someone like apple who you know in 2007 2008 that's when smartphones really came about you know yeah. if you were slight if you were kind of slightly aware of it and slightly kind of clue like if you thought in that way and you saw how quickly apple had you know how, how many iphones had sold in like one year of launching you would have seen actually that just just by looking at what people are doing you would have seen that actually this is a company that's doing really well um yeah. So what I mean, what do you, what do you kind of what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think kind of the app, like a retail investor can can just kind of if if just by looking day to day they can see the sorts of companies that are um, that are doing well, or do you think there's always got to be that element of sort of doing a bit more kind of extensive research? I think it's it's a tough one because it's like I think doing research you can literally go down a rabbit hole and something could happen to the company. So I think there's almost an element of your gut, your gut feeling, because at the end of the day, right, we don't work in these companies. Even if you knew insiders in this company, you are not the one making the decisions at the top. So you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen in the market as well. So I do agree with Peter Lynch to a certain extent that if you, I think at you know, in what he's even stay, saying is is that that's assuming that the person understands how Apple makes money. So mm-hmm. clearly, if you know how the company makes money and you feel that that company has a good future, I don't think you need to deep, deep dive into, okay, but where are they getting, uh, who are their suppliers and um, what countries in particular are they doing well in? I don't think you need to go to that nth degree to be successful in investing in that company. I just don't believe there has to be that much in-depth research. I think doing your due diligence, like, okay, is this company profitable? Are they going to be profitable? Maybe at some point, um, you know, are they going into bad debt? Uh, You know, are they going to become bankrupt? You know, just knowing some of these, you know, basic questions I think is good enough to give you a feeling that, okay, yes, yes or no. But again, you have to understand that I think the less you know, the riskier it is yeah. you as well. Um, so it's, it's, like, it's like you said, going in blind. You don't want to go completely blind. You don't just want to be like, oh, I'm just going to invest in Tesla because their share price is going up. I just don't think that's good mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at least if you can answer some basic questions and you feel comfortable with yourself, you're like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Because at the end of the day, everybody has a different criteria. You don't have to be a super analyst to, you know, if it fits your criteria and you're happy with it, knock yourself out. Yeah. Is what I, I say. Yeah, definitely. And I think that a lot of the time, like if you kind of, this kind of circles back around to the funds thing is that if you don't, if you don't feel like you understand enough about investing or don't have the conviction, that's where you, that's where, where these funds become great because you're, you're essentially you're just offloading the work onto these professionals who who do this for a living this is their day their, yeah. their job is to be the best at identifying the best companies in the best sectors you know and they will basically just trying to make you the most money because if they make if they're making you money they're earning money themselves as well um yeah. so i think that's that's kind of what i say but i i i kind of agree with you um always like you should always do your due diligence and you, you i think you put it great there just ask just ask the, the kind of the simple questions and then that at least gives you an idea of whether 
you know, whether it's a company you think it's worth investing in, just even on, on the face of it, you don't have to be looking into these complicated valuation metrics and, you know, these kind of performance ratios, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. You can, if you want, like if you, if that's mm-hmm. what you're interested in, like definitely, as you said, like knock yourself yeah. out, go down, like go down that rabbit hole. Like you can, <laughs> there's endless, endless, endless research on these sorts yeah. of companies. Um, so you could do that. Um, but if you don't have the time, especially, like, I think it's, I think you made a really good point. Just if you ask a few yeah. questions and if you, and if you have the conviction based on that, and if you feel comfortable doing that, um, do it. But then of course yeah. you, as you, you t- you, as you said, there's a higher risk. And so, yeah. You know, and I think that's the thing, like equity, like investing in stocks, specific stocks is not for everyone. Um, no. Because there are so many factors that, that play into it. You know, the, the time yeah. needed, the having the stomach to actually invest your money um, and yeah. and see it out. And that's the thing. That's what I like yeah. throughout this whole series that the one thing I'm trying to get across mm-hmm. is that, you know, investing is a long-term game. You know, you should only be investing yeah. money you don't need for a long time. Um, yeah. Like you shouldn't be investing... Like, any money you need for like your day-to-day expenses because that's just silly yeah um <laughs> and, silly. yeah like it's just like, like literally literally rule number one investing <laughs> like make sure you have a bit of money saved up to cover yourself um but but yeah so i think it's um it's interesting it's and i understand i kind of understand why people are intimidated by it that's that's the thing yeah. it's it is it is intimidating and i think kind of what i'm what i'm trying to do on the show i feel like what you're trying to do with savvy wallet and everything you're doing as well is just try to show people that actually it doesn't have to be intimidating it doesn't have to be complicated Mm -hmm. um and you also don't have to pay people loads of money to do it you know it can be it can be it can be kind of done by yourself but um i thought kind of like as as we're kind of nearing the end of the show one thing i wanted to do actually was get your opinion on um, perhaps like a, a company or a stock that you think uh, that you you personally are looking at at the moment or have invested in yeah. and kind of mm-hmm. give the listeners a bit of an idea as to why you think that company is good. And then um, I've also chosen one. So after you, I'll, um, I'll embarrass myself and try to pitch a stock to uh, <laughs> the listeners, but yeah, no, go ahead and share, share, share a stock pick that you, that you, that you like. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I like a company called Roku. It's a mid-cap company. Its market cap's around 20 billion. It makes basically TV streaming um, appliances, you know, similar to like, you know, what Amazon have with their Firebox and what Google have with their, I think it's Chromecast. Mm -hmm, Um, But what I like about the company is not that it's just, that it has, you know, that device where it makes your TV into a smart TV. It's for its what is called in the future connected TV advertising. So instead right. of advertising using, you know, like the normal television on TV channels, they're going to allow um, advertisers to advertise to people who are part of their ecosystem. So the Roku ecosystem is, I think, is in about one third of TVs in the US. So it's okay. inbuilt in, the, in, in that, in, you know, in their TV. So for me, it's that ability to compete with uh, Facebook and Google. Because I think, they need, you know, that needs to be broken up a little bit. We need <laughs> some different sort of, you know, advertising. So yeah, they dominate, uh, that's they dominate, the reason why, I've, yeah. exactly, they, they dominate completely across every social media. So I think mm. that's a real opportunity because right now, Netflix don't do ads which is you know everybody hates ads which is which is you know i get it but i think if you do it in the right way 
it's a good opportunity because at the end of the day, advertisement is a way for people to see um, a product that they might be interested of yours. And I think mm -hmm. via Roku's platform, they're going to give a lot of future yeah. advertisers that potential. Yeah. Is it, is it, where's, where's the company based? I've heard of Roku, but it sounds like it's like a, an Asian company. It sounds it? like it. It's no, it's no, it's US. It's US. Is it US? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's actually I always thought. I, yeah. I think they. I think they sponsored. Yeah. I think they sponsored Barcelona a couple of years ago. I don't know. Yeah, I might be yeah. wrong on that, but I've some reason I always thought it was an Asian company. And it does sound like one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's me being like slightly racist. I don't know, but um, hopefully not. Um, but in so when you when you talk about like the, the kind of the, would it tailor its advertising to this? You know, you're talking about those ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Is it yeah. kind of, do you think kind of going forward, your, the company's more focused on the um, device side of it? Or do you think it's more the ads? Do you think they're, they're kind of main I, players ads? I think it's the ads. So I think it's using its devices, like inbuilt in these TVs, as mm. well as obviously you can get like the sticks. But mm. I think the main focus for them, because they, their ecosystem or their OS system, sorry, is mm. in a lot of one third of TVs it's going to be the targeted ads. And I think that's the importance, the targeted ads, targeted not just ads, yeah. any ads, but ads that are relevant to people who are viewing it. So I think they've got about 40 million customers right now. Okay. Might be, might not be completely right, but their growth is, has been so much more since lockdown yeah. because, oh, you know, imagine, people are yeah. staying at home and, uh, you know, people are using their platform and people love their platform. In fact, they're, they're, num they're rated number one compared to Amazon and um, uh, Chromecast because people think that their platform uh, doesn't favor any particular um, system. So you can okay. watch Netflix on it, you can watch um, Disney Plus and stuff like that, but it doesn't yeah, yeah. favor any you know, particular one. So people love that about it and it yeah, makes sure. it easy for other platforms to, to, to get onto it. Yeah. And a kind of like, uh, would you say like the, their main like competitors are like the big ad guys? So do you think it's like Google, Facebook, the, that, that sort of stuff? Yeah. So that's their main competitors because nobody else is really doing this yet. If, mm. if Netflix wants to do it, Netflix will become their biggest yeah. future competitor. So if Netflix decides, okay, you know what, we're going to start doing ads. So that's a potential threat. I think Netflix, mm. Amazon's obviously a potential threat from the, hardware device uh, yeah. point of view and then i guess google facebook as well you know in case because mm -hmm. these guys they've got the cash if they want to acquire oh, roku yeah. say you know what <laughs> you're doing a good job we want to get into that space that's the acquisition thing. so yeah, there's a lot of things yeah the amount like the amount the amount of cash they have like those guys mm -hmm. can just like they can just do dominate yeah. anything can't they it's a bit it's a bit worrying yeah. but no, that's really yeah, interesting yeah. that's really interesting um again like so heroku's company i just heard of by name but mm -hmm. never really knew kind of exact details of um what they did so that's really interesting thank you and the kind of what's yeah. what's kind of do you know like their share price at the moment what do you have like a, a an aim their a target of what it might be in the future share, their share price is about 160 i've seen okay. future targets about 200 plus okay um mo mainly because of this um advertising capability so a lot yeah. of analysts are bullish on them because they think within the next year, this um, transition from TV ads to connected mm -hmm. TV ads is going to become a big thing. And they think that because of COVID, it's going to probably be 
um, accelerated. Been accelerated, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah that's interesting. Okay, so yeah, yeah, quite um, quite good, quite kind of good growth in there, especially on a share price basis. Yeah, um, yeah no, it's nice. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Nice, nice, nice. Cool. Well, mine's kind of slightly different. Um, again, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a company that's sort of been their kind of sector has been accelerated by COVID, but um, yeah. it's a company called Snowflake, which mm-hmm. if you're kind of, if you've been kind of following financial markets recently, you will have come across it because they recently, yeah. they IPO'd, I think yesterday, literally. Um, yeah. And they're basically a cloud computing company um, and they, I'm going to try and explain this as simply as possible. <laughs> and I apologize if yeah. it's um, complicated, but they basically, they offer uh, cloud computing data warehouse services. So, Specifically, you know, their their kind of their cloud platform allows customers to kind of consolidate all their data into one place, um, and then through that, the customers can then generate kind of data analytics insights and build applications based on that information. Um, and then on that cloud platform, they can then share kind of share those applications. Um, but I think one of the biggest, and when you hear like cloud computing, you kind of, I think most people think of like Amazon, um, yeah. Google, kind of uh, yeah, Google Microsoft and well. Microsoft Azure. Yeah, exactly. They're like, yeah. they're kind of the, the big players, but within cloud computing, there's lots of different services. So there's kind of software as a service, there's data warehouse as a service, which is what um, Snowflake are. And then the the three big names I just mentioned, they're kind of infrastructure as, as a service. So they kind of okay. offer the, the cloud infrastructure that other companies then utilize. Um, wow. but one of the biggest selling points, I think, for Snowflake, and I think why people are so kind of um, bullish on it, is because what Snowflake actually allows uh, you kind of a customers to do is they it allows you to use um, either Amazon, either Google, either Microsoft, wow. their infrastructure. So whereas mm-hmm. previously, um, if you're using like Amazon Web Services, they're going to lock you, as a customer, they're going to lock you in. They're not yeah. going to let you use this other infrastructure. But actually, um, Snowflake allow you to kind of pick and choose between which one wow. basically suits your needs and services more. Um, and it's it's interesting because for that reason, I, I'm I've, obviously its main competitors are... Um, you would say it's those kind of big companies and also kind of slightly this kind of smaller players within cloud. But I'd, also, I'd almost kind of say the, the fact that they can kind of offer their customers each one, um, each of these different kind of these kind of the different infrastructure does give it an, a, a kind of an advantage and does differentiate it from Amazon and Microsoft and Google. So I think that's why it's done so, and it's been so popular. It was the biggest software IPO ever. I think it, it yeah. hit. It's valued at thirty-three billion. So the share price is insane. The share price was um, one hundred and twenty dollars, and then on the first day of trading, it shot up to two fifty, which valued it at probably over sixty billion by kind of the end of the day, which is ridiculous. Wow. Um, but you know, it, it's kind of it's 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 kind of growth statistics. Kind of what people would argue would justify that kind of price. So it's got hundred. It's got year-on-year revenue growth of one hundred and twenty percent. It's got kind of a sixty percent gross margin, which I think for most, I think for most people in the cloud space, that is kind of the standard thing. But if you compare that to other other industries, the kind of the margins that's generated is ridiculous. Exactly, um, and I think kind of it's. I think that's the reason why it's done so well. It's got these growth prospects, but as you said, cloud computing as a sector has you know, what's kind of what should have taken you know, two three years has mm. taken three months to develop because 
they've needed to, you know, COVID has just caused cloud computing to go through the roof in terms of the yeah. demand it's needed. And so like, I think, I think because of that, it, I personally think right now it's slightly overvalued um, yeah. because I think there's that, that's, there's that kind of cloud computing hype. There's that um, yeah. software hype. And I think in the kind of next, maybe in the next year or so, you will see that share price fall um, yeah. as people kind of, as I think, as people kind of realized there was a bit of hype around it, but also as, you know, investors move into other sectors as kind of economic outlook improves. Um, but generally for me, I, I see cloud computing as, as like being a massive, a massive sector going forward. I think it's been valued at $750 billion um, wow. going forward, which is like, like ridiculous. Like That's crazy. Like larger than like <laughs> a, a number of countries' GDP. So um, yeah. And that's sort of like, that's my, my kind of thing. I've, I've been doing a bit of um, work, as I said to you before the show, a bit of work um, mm. through my work on cloud computing and doing a bit of research there. Yeah. So that's kind of why it's t- taken my fancy. Um, but it's definitely like, I, I don't think I'll, it's, it's on my watch list. I, I do really want to invest in it. I just want to see that price fall a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially because, as I said, you know, analysts valued it at 120 and it's almost doubled in value the share price specifically (laughs) which shows there's loads of demand for it which is good but i think kind of based on um you know looking at some of the kind of the kind of financial metrics i don't think um it warrants a price that high i don't actually think it's turned made a profit yet and it's only 10 years old that's the thing it's only 10 years old and it's i think as i said the kind of hype of software and cloud computing has probably inflated that price a bit yeah yeah and this that happens a lot with ipo so there's a book i'm reading currently the intelligent investor mm-hmm. um by graham benjamin um it's really good it's got a section on ipos which was yeah. which is really interesting yeah and uh he talks about like you know um during you know ipos people there's frenzies there's all these underwriters trying to sell you know these stocks at a very high level and obviously a lot of people i think especially with snowflake i think what got a lot of people on board was the fact that and funny enough uh warren buffett's mentor is this guy that wrote this book that i'm speaking about um uh, warren buffett was famous or notoriously was against ipos but he invested in snowflake yeah. so i think yeah. this gave people the license to be like okay if warren buffett's investing in snowflake i'm not smarter than warren buffett i'm not more <laughs> successful than warren buffett let me invest in warren buffett let me yeah. in, sorry let me invest in snowflake so i think that's probably pushed up the price yeah. uh, a lot higher but in this book it says that usually Adi, when an IPO happens, if a if a investment or a company is um, really popular, it's got to skyrocket. And then usually, mm. what you'll see is after a few months or even years, that price will start to peter off and start yeah. going down. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's probably what will happen with no, Snowflake. You know, I'm not forecasting that, but if you look historically at other big IPOs, so another company that I'm invested in called Beyond Meat, it went up to about. Two hundred and ten dollars at around this peak, right? I remember. Um, I remember now it's yeah, exactly, yeah, and it was it, popular. And it's, it it's, took it's, off, yeah. I remember, yeah, because it, yeah, it was the, it was the first. It was the first big company that was doing yeah. kind of um, meat products. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember the first, yeah, on IPO. It had, that's the thing, hype. It got so much hype around it. And, so much hype, and because so you've got these institutional guys who are just trying to make loads of money, yeah, like, and oh they do, God, this, and they do make loads yeah. of money from it. That That's is the thing. thing. They're incentivized to make mm. money because 
you know, in the book, it, it explains the whole process. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, the underwriters get, uh, uh, have the opportunity to get some of these shares. So Warren Buffett would have had opportunity to get this share at a lower price, essentially. Yeah, course, right? yeah. I'm not saying that he sold out at the high end. I don't, I don't know what he did. Mm. Uh, but he would have had an opportunity to um, get at a lower price. So he's going to obviously be incentivized to want to drive that share price up. Yeah. Uh, so with IPOs, you have to be very careful that during that, everybody wants in, everybody wants in. Mm. But at some point, if they don't meet expectations, which they won't because the expectations are far too high, yeah. they will peter off. And for me, that's a good time to, to get into them yeah. when they yeah. peter off because they will go back up again eventually. Yeah. They're good businesses. Yeah, definitely. And the, uh, that I actually had the Warren, Warren Buffett bit on my notes here. Um, yeah. I to mention, but he, so that's actually his first um, software investment as well. And he's traditionally like a value investor. So what the fact yes, that he's investing yes. in what would be seen as a growth company, I think, as you said, for a lot of yeah. people was a massive, a massive thing. Um, but no, so yeah, Snowflake, Roku, Beyond, like you mentioned Beyond Meat as well. That's another one that's yeah. obviously had a lot of popularity recently because a set like think about beyond me the sector the, the kind of potential for that sector is massive it's especially moving massive. forward like a massive because yeah. because of the kind of there's an obvious need to kind of for global populations to decrease you know the amount of meat we're consuming for environmental reasons yeah. and it just almost kind of plays in it exactly plays into that that kind of yeah. um changing trend um yeah. but that is yeah that was really interesting thank you for sharing that little stock pick and kind of especially that view on, view on ipos i'll um I've, that's a book I've actually been meaning, meaning to read. Um, people really have always good, mentioned yeah. it to me. Um, there are loads of, I think there are loads of like great books to read, especially if you're starting yeah, investing. So, um, many. so I'll try and leave a couple of those. I'll leave that book and I'll leave the one, one up on Wall Street, which is the Peter Lynch one I mentioned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we've, we've, we've been talking for like 45 minutes now. I, could, I honestly could continue <laughs> talking, but um, yeah. in the interest of time, I reckon we should probably um, finish up there. So I was thinking, yeah. well, just before we go, how about you kind of let the listeners know um, yeah. where they can find you, so your socials and that. And so that if they have any questions for you, uh, they can get in touch. Yeah, sure. Uh, so on Instagram, you can find me at Savvy Wallet. Uh, on Twitter, Savvy Wallet 1. Couldn't get Savvy Wallet, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, on YouTube, it's Savvy Wallet as well. So, yeah, okay, on, Savvy Wallet on those cool. platforms. Yeah, and I'll, um, I'll, share, I'll share those, obviously, links to those um, in the show notes. But... Um, Atto, mate, thank you so much for coming on. It's been, I think it's thank been really good. Me. And it's, it's, I think it's, as I said at the start, it's really good for listeners to kind of just hear how different people think and how they yeah. look at companies. And hopefully listening through this, you've listeners have gotten an idea of kind of the things, you know, the average Joe on the street think about when investing. But that's the thing, like, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't consider myself a professional investor. Mm. I have mm-hmm. a, I have a really great interest in investing, but you know, it's it's i'm still kind of i'm still just you know as i said your average joe on the street i'm not investing millions i'm just investing a bit of my money but what no matter how much you're investing um yeah you should i think you should always apply apply the same strategies and stick to it if you're investing a hundred pounds yeah. or if you're investing ten thousand pounds whatever it is exactly um so yeah well thank you very much for coming on and mate hope thank you, you yeah have a nice rest of the weekend and have a great yeah, weekend cheers, mate. take care really enjoyed it thanks bye so I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of my chat with Atto. He shared some really, really insightful stuff. And I think it was just really 
personally for me, it was just interesting to hear his own strategy and the sort of company he's investing. As he, as he said, he's obviously very growth focused and looking for those companies that are really trying to, you know, increase in value over, you know, kind of the near term, the five to 10 year period he was talking about. But if you have any questions about this week's show, you know, you can get in touch with us. You can email us or follow us on Instagram. I've shared all of Atto's uh, personal details in the show notes below. So if you want to ask him any questions or follow his accounts, uh, you can do that. His stock picks on YouTube are really, really great and really insightful. But they're also not too long, which is good because he just gets to the point and, you know, kind of cuts through all the noise, which I think is super beneficial in this day and age. So as always, guys, if you like the show, let us know. If you, ha- if you are listening to Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you left a review because the more reviews we get, the more people can find out about this episode, find out about the show and hopefully improve their investing and knowledge and personal finance knowledge better. But that's all for this week, guys. Next week's episode, we're going to be looking at fixed income, basically talking about what it is, how it can have a role in your investment journey. And yeah, so have a great week, guys. And as always, stay safe, keep spending, keep saving, keep doing what you are doing, keep investing, and I will chat to you next week. Cheers.